Welcome to the Metal Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We just sat down with Jacob Huff of Fresh Fry. So they're a very exciting startup out of Louisville, Kentucky. That is just a wild story that we enjoyed hearing uh, from Jacob. Uh, they really just started out as a company that was doing experiments. I mean, they weren't even necessarily a company. They were two friends uh, that started doing some experiments with biodiesel and frying oil from restaurants. And eventually they worked their way to a point where they had a sustainable business concept and idea and product. Uh, and ever since then, it's just been such a wild story uh, that's been happening right in uh, Lex- or Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but what they're doing is they've built these pods that will go into a restaurant's frying pan, frying oil rather, um, and clean the oil. And so one of the problems with operating a restaurant is you know, those frying uh, machines are very expensive, uh, and it takes a lot of time to clean them and it's hard to dispose of that waste. And they're putting these pods in there that are completely natural. They're bio, they're, uh, made out of plant. Um, what is, what, how do they describe it? They're, they're made out of plant byproduct byproduct mm-hmm. and they clean the oil. And so what that does for the restaurant is it allows the oil to last longer. They don't have to swap it in and out as much. And it ultimately saves them money and time. So it's a really cool product that's absolutely exploded. Yeah. And, you know, like Evan mentioned, this is something that uh, that's in an industry that you might not think about very often. And that's one of those opportunities where it's just ripe for innovation. And that's what they've they've come in and done. You know, cleaning your frying oil is not necessarily a new idea, but the way they're doing it, they've innovated uh, and come up with a really good solution that restaurants really value. Uh, so we got to talk about the founding story, how Fresh Fry actually came to be. Uh, we talked about this crazy roller coaster that they've been on since the founding. Evan kind of hinted at it there, but uh, they had a really huge opportunity to go and, and essentially go to market super fast. Uh, and, you know, sometimes too much growth too quickly can become a problem for a company. So we talk about that. We talk about how they actually battled through COVID. Uh, they turned to selling sanitizer at one point during this COVID pandemic to stay alive. And, and we talk about that kind of fighting mentality and doing whatever it takes to stay alive. Uh, we talk about how to react to those kind of obstacles and those different uh, difficult market conditions. So, you know, it just takes a different type of mentality to, to keep pushing forward. And Jacob does a great job talking about how they actually made it through those really tough times. Uh, and then we also, as we always do, like to talk about the local startup scene, wherever the companies we're talking to are, uh, this time being in Louisville. So we got to talk about the local uh, Louisville startup scene as well. Um, and now, we, as we always do, we like to give a shout out to our sponsors. So starting off, we've got Land Betterment. So as you guys know, Land Betterment is a company we've had on the podcast for episode 97. Uh, it's a, a company we've loved following this whole time. We love what they're doing over at Land Betterment. Um, and you know, what land better is actually doing 
is taking old coal mines, old strip mines, and upcycling them by putting those sustainable businesses on them uh, that can then provide good paying jobs for the communities that have oftentimes lost them uh, because the coal mines are now shut down. Um, And one of the topics we always try to bring to light on this podcast is sustainability uh, and green technology. And we just love what Land Betterment is doing because they are taking uh, an old problem and solving it with new and innovative solutions. So again, we just love what they're doing. We love uh, working with them. We're super grateful for their sponsorship. So if you guys would like to learn more about them, you can visit their website at landbetterment.com. You can go listen to our episode with them. Again, that's episode 97. Yep. And another uh, sponsor we've got here is Brandon Johnson of the Johnson Law Group. If you need any legal help, I suggest reaching out to him. If you're starting a company, you know, the legal side of things is very important. I am working with him currently uh, on, you know, restricted stock agreements and equity incentive programs. Uh, He helped me set up my my corporation uh, and helped me and my co-founders navigate that, which is often very scary for a founder. Uh, because not many founders actually have that legal background. And so he made it fun. He was very uh, responsive. So anytime I hit him up, uh, he was quick to respond and sent me what I needed. Uh, he's from Louisville, Kentucky, or he's not from Louisville, Kentucky, but he, he is. Uh, he graduated from Louisville, uh, worked for companies like Louisville Slugger, Papa John's, has represented companies like WeatherCheck uh, and you know Instagram influencers. So he has a very wide background on what he can actually do. So I suggest... Whatever it is that you're doing, whether whatever it is that you're starting, you want to reach out and get his help. Uh, and I mentioned he was from Louisville, Kentucky. That was wrong. He's from he's from Fordsville, Kentucky. Uh, if you want to learn more, uh, he does free consults. I encourage you to go to middletech.com/slash/johnsonlaw to learn more and set up uh, a free consult uh, and just just talk to him. You know, he's uh, many lawyers are going to be willing just to chat uh, because you know they're there to help founders, uh, and it, it's you know makes sense for them uh, because the more founders they help. Uh, the more money they make in the long run. And so they're always going to be very willing to help. So reach out. Yeah. So again, thanks to our sponsors. They allow us to scale this thing up to a little bit bigger of a level than what we've been able to do in the past. So we're super grateful for them. Uh, But we're going to go and dive into this episode. We hope you guys enjoy. All right. Thanks for joining everybody. Super excited about this episode. We've heard so many good things about Fresh Fry. Uh, we got a referral and an intro from Noah Bass, which we're grateful for. Uh, he also introduced us to Matt Langan uh, at Stucco. So uh, today's episode, as I said, is with Fresh Fry. Uh, we're with the founder, uh, co-founder, and COO, Jacob Huff. So thanks for joining, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to share a little bit about Fresh Fry and get the word out. Yeah, well, we've been hearing uh, about all the momentum you've had. We jumped on a call before this episode, and it just got me super excited for this conversation. It sounds like you have an amazing story, lots of learnings, uh, but more importantly, you guys have ha- are having you know a lot of success, and we're looking forward to hearing about it and uh, seeing what your view of the future is for Fresh Fry. So before we get into any of that, though, let's talk about your background, where are you from, education, and then a little bit of your professional uh, background up until Fresh Fry. Yeah, I grew up in central Kentucky, uh, grew up in Lebanon, I went to school, uh, Marion County High School. And then, you know, from there I got, uh, was lucky enough to have a, a great soccer coach that also taught uh, a brand new engineering program at our high school. So that kind of steered me down the engineering path, you know, aside from just being okay at math and science. Uh, that was the natural 
path that I took. So I looked at you know, all the schools around the area, uh, ended up deciding on the University of Louisville to go to their speed school. Uh, initially thought that I wanted to be a civil engineer. I uh, found out that civil engineers, uh, their job is to make sure that things don't move but uh, quickly found out that that really wasn't for me. So the opposite of that is mechanical engineering. So I, I like to make things move and uh, that really uh, excited me a little bit more. So uh, from that in college, I, I took an internship with Cummins uh, in their high horsepower division uh, in Southern Indiana and uh, did three semesters there. Learned a lot. Uh, the one thing I learned was that I, I really didn't want to go work for a huge corporate environment. Uh, it just really wasn't for me. And so after that, you know, after graduation, I took another internship with a, a local heavy machinery dealer. And I was the first engineer that they had hired. Uh, they mainly hired the technical folks, you know, the people uh, who were able to go out in a huge truck, go fix anything. So I looked up to those people whenever I worked there. So I learned a lot uh, from that group and I learned a lot from that job and kind of uh, topped out there. Uh, I learned uh, the, the culture there was kind of put in your time and that's how you moved up. Uh, that did sit well with me. I'm pretty impatient, a very competitive person. So uh, I didn't like the thought of, you know, putting in five, 10 more years just to, to move up, move up the ladder that way. So, uh, which brings me kind of back to, to fresh fries where, you know, I met Jeremiah, who's our CEO and founder, uh, met him in the engineering program at UofL. Um, I think pretty much the first semester I was there, uh, we just kind of became friends, hit it off and, you know, stayed friends throughout our college experience and when it came time to you know around grad school time he he was working on a project where he would collect waste oil from a wendy's on campus he would haul that over to the lab he would process that and turn it into biodiesel and then he would in turn give that to the tark system that ran around our campus uh, during that process you know, he found out one that uh, it's a very messy job. Uh, there's not a lot of money in it unless you're doing it at scale. But the one thing he did discover was really the problem to be solved there is in the back of house. Uh, it's not really in, in the biodiesel space. That really wasn't what uh, excited him about uh, you know that sector. So kind of took his efforts into that direction, you know, focusing on the back of house and how. Uh, you can make innovations there. His background's in chemical engineering. So he took what he learned and what he knew about uh, the chemistry of oil and, you know, just that general engineering background, you know, how do I make this process better? And that's, that's where the idea of fresh fry kind of started. And when you say the back of house, you're saying, but the kind of back of house of a restaurant, the behind you know, where you order your food, you've got all the fry stations. And so he was beginning to realize that, you know, the, the opportunity was for cleaning that oil in the back of house and allowing them to, to reuse it. Is that basically the, the crux of what he began to realize? 
Yeah, I mean, the it was unique being on campus because they really didn't have many options when it came to throwing out their waste oil. So mm-hmm. anytime he showed up, they gave him as, as much as he could take. So he was trying to figure out you know, if they're trying to throw out all this oil, what if I can figure out a way to make sure it stays around longer in the back of the restaurant? Because, you know, the fryer is one of the most important devices in your kitchen if you're you know a kitchen or a fast food restaurant so uh, any way to to be able to optimize that has got to be able to pay dividends not only for the customer but whoever can come up with that product what are they what are they doing with the oil so if you're not turning into bio biodiesel um and you're not and you're not cleaning it and reusing it longer what was going on before what were they how do you dispose of frying oil so we've found that there are basically two, two segments of the market. There's your top 200 chains that have been dealing with frying oil for years and years and years. They've had the experience to be able to optimize it. Uh, they're taking a chemical, sprinkling that into their oil using expensive filtering equipment and then filtering that back out. So they're doing that either once or twice a day to try to polish the oil, you know, keep it around as often as much as they can. The other, the other segment of the market has you know, looked at that option and said, that's not for us. Either the process is too complicated, the equipment's too expensive, whatever it is, they've basically decided to do nothing and you know, just live with what their oil life is going to be just naturally. Uh, so. People choose that for you know operations to be simple, and then when the oil starts to go bad, they put it in a container and then haul it out back. So it goes into a, a, a waste dumpster, and then somebody comes and hauls it away. And then that person will try to consolidate as much waste oil as they can, and then sell that just like a commodity. So they sell it to somebody who's going to turn it into biodiesel. There's uh, a market to turn that into you know, feed for animals, any number of things. Yeah. Go into, so now I think it's a good opportunity for you to go into an actual product that you're providing to solve that, that problem and how you came to realize that you, know, you had a solution here. Yeah. So if you think about those two segments, the one segment that you know, they have the, the corporate arm of the business to go in and look at the innovation and say, you know, if you want to cook KFC chicken, this is the filtering equipment you buy. This is the filter powder you buy, filter paper, all this stuff. So they they give you a process. And then you think about that other segment. We said, you know, can we take that expensive and complicated process and basically put that in a pod? So we wanted to capture that into this is what it looks like. Basically, it looks like a cornhole bag. Huh. but all the science is inside. So the traditional filter powders and things that uh, if you're, if you've ever worked a fryer that you'd be familiar with, like I said, you have to sprinkle that into your oil and then filter it back out. And it's that action of filtering it that cleans the oil. Our product is different in the sense that you just set it in the fryer, let it soak overnight. And all of the impurities that build up in your fryer while you're cooking throughout the day, while you're heating the oil, uh, 
all of those contaminants need something to react with. And so we give it this pod to react with. So your oil stays, stays stable, stays high quality, and, you know, ultimately extends the life of the oil. And I'd imagine you guys were probably one of the more innovative players in the space. What is it, what does the space look like in terms of competition and who else is operating within it? Yeah. I mean, basically the, the biggest player is the, the one who services all of those fast food chains. Uh, there really hasn't been someone before us that's really developed a product for, you know, our product is perfect for the mom and pop restaurant, the people who only own you know, one location. They're trying to watch their margins. Uh, they can't invest in expensive equipment. So we are basically the only people that have, have given them another option uh, unless you want to you know, take the step and buy the equipment and use the filter powders that are out there. And all of them are, are synthetic uh, you know, man-made products. Whereas, you know, we've taken a, basically a plant byproduct, just plant shells and just done a little bit of processing to it and put it in a pod. Because, uh, you know, if you think about, uh, I just saw Elon Musk has got this tweet out or this prize. You know, what's this? What's the next carbon capture technology? I'll pay millions of dollars for this. And everybody, it's like trees, right? Yeah, I've seen some so funny ones too. Basically, you know, what's the best thing at capturing contaminants in nature and its plants? So we basically took that idea, found a raw material for it. You know, we we believe in sustainability. We're trying to you know, uh, play into that circular economy. We're, we're not trying to just build things to just be thrown away. So we're taking a, a, a plant that's burned to generate electricity. And then that byproduct would otherwise go to a landfill. And so we're capturing that and then reprocessing that and, and turning it into a value added product. How did you arrive at that solution? Was it Jeremiah's uh, understanding of chemical engineering? Did you try a bunch of different ideas and just see what what worked? Like, talk about how you actually found the original well solution. You know, the the product has come a long way, and I, I give all the credit to Jeremiah and his chemical engineering background and his just his desire to make just the best product possible. But in all honesty, we took the competitor's product and tried to put it into a pot. Because the product itself was just how can we make something self-contained so it's less messy, easier to use. So we put the competitor's product in there and it was just a mess. Uh, didn't work. Uh, so we figured out how to to reprocess that, tried that as as a solution as well. But we determined that, you know, there's a reason why they sell this powder just in bulk is because, uh, you know, the costs involved. Whenever you start to add this packaging and the labor, the filter paper all in one, uh, it kind of just priced itself out. And so we had to find a plant or a plant byproduct that, you know, if it's going to a landfill, uh, it's going to come pretty cheap. So we, we looked at you know, other industries. What, what products are they using to filter uh, other you know, looking at water filtration and, and some other things. So we looked at you know, parallel processes and ultimately landed on you know, the proprietary 
plant products that we have today. And that is that is a proprietary product that you guys have. Is that what gives you guys the advantage over your competition? Do you guys have any patents or any sort of IP protection over that? Yeah, we're patent pending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've done that in private for a reason because our, our biggest competitor is, is a huge player in this market. But I think our main competitive advantage is just you know, speed to market uh, and just our ability to give the customers what they need. You know, this this pod initially started out as a as a coffee filter that was just stapled together, and so we just said, "All right, here's the idea. Put this in your fryer and see if it works." Well, it failed immediately, but you know, once the chef saw the idea, it's like, "Yeah, this this has merit." So then we went back to the drawing board, put the granules that we made into you know filter paper, and we took a sewing machine and, and sewed it shut. That worked a lot better. And then you know, we just kept going from there. And from from there, we got to what we have today. And speed to market, when we spoke on the phone, you guys had a really exciting opportunity and took advantage of it to its full potential with, with Cisco. Uh, walk us through that opportunity and, and how that's helped you. It, yeah, it is, it's a crazy story. We... We started off with a distributor locally called Creation Gardens, and we'll forever be thankful to those folks because they took a chance on us. We were we were making these pods on a on a fold up tailgate table in the back of what's now a Bean Coffee Shop, and I was delivering cases to the distributor in the back of my Camry for them to then put on, you know, their legit food service distributor trucks. But throughout that process, we started to see and and meet more restaurateurs and figured out, you know, if we want to be you know, taken seriously, we have to go after those big distributors. So that's what led us to Cisco. Cisco Louisville uh, also took a chance on us. They said, we love the idea. We love that you guys are entrepreneurs here in Louisville. So we started gaining traction here in Louisville. Uh, we would just go and you know, we started at the football stadium, the Yum Center, uh, just went from there. But Jeremiah was actually supposed to meet with you know, a huge sea uh, store chain and the guy blew him off. And it just so happened that somebody from the corporate office was sitting in the lobby, overheard Jeremiah's sales pitch and said, you know, we have a program that, that we do twice a year it's called cutting edge solutions and it's similar to a shark tank vibe where anybody that has a new product uh, can go up to cisco corporate pitch the idea and they would launch it nationwide and nationwide for cisco means 73 operating companies so 73 cities would hold it in their huge warehouses and at that time, we were just in Creation Gardens. We were just in Cisco Louisville. So obviously, we jumped on the idea. Uh, we actually, I think we we heard about the program around February, pitched it in the summer, and were selected in the fall. But it took us another full year to develop a product in the supply chain that could even keep up with the scale that they were talking. Uh, so when it finally came time to launch, uh, so we had gone through probably three 
three iterations between being selected as a cutting edge solution and actually launching, uh, which thank goodness we did because we would have fallen flat on our face. Uh, but so we, we get to, I think it's around September, August of 2019, 2018, sorry. And our team of three were spread out across the U.S. trying to, to pitch our product to the Cisco sales team for them to then go sell it to their customers. And so I'm in L.A., I think Jeremiah's in uh, Boston or something. We were spread out just trying to do our damnedest to pitch this product. And so the product launches and we were the number one selling product in this whole program, like through the life of this program. Uh, and come to find out, you know, our supply chain couldn't keep up. Uh, we outsold products from Tyson, you know, Beyond Meat, their product, their new sausage was in our uh, in our cohort. We outsold them. And then, you know, the orders kept coming and coming and coming. And then we all ended up having to say, you know, we can't, we can't quite keep up with this demand. Uh, but we tried to figure it out, tried to figure it out. It's just the, uh, the manufacturing process at scale totally changed. And were, were you not able to, was it like you either had to be all in and you had to be able to service those 70 something, um, locations or could you not have just, you know, had a shorter or a smaller, um, supply or I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Distribution. Just smaller distribution. Yeah. Was there no middle ground or did they just want you to be all in? There, there was no middle ground. So we, yeah. we kind of choked on the growth there because uh, we went from, you got to think we were in like two cities doing about 30 cases a week. And then they wanted us to go to 73 cities and we were doing between 700 and 800 cases a week. And to be able to service that account, you, know, you have to have stocking orders weeks in advance before the customer even gets the product. So we were getting stocking orders for six, seven, 8,000 cases at a time. We had never even thought about how we could make that much product at the time. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds, it's a good problem to have, but how have you, I'm sure it's very stressful. I'm sure it's really hard. How have you, you know, continued to, you know, push forward and get back to a place where you can service those kind of requests? Yeah. So we, we had to basically take our whole supply chain and go go back to the drawing board because as you can imagine uh, our team at that stage were like you know we're just choking on order so we were trying to throw in any idea we could at the wall to try and figure it out uh, we were buying pieces of equipment we were talking to different toll processing partners you know paying for as much overtime as we could uh, but we just couldn't outrun the problem so we had to go back to the drawing board and figure out a, a manufacturing process that worked. And you know, so 2018 in the fall, we launched, we finally figured out a, a scalable manufacturing process uh, around summer of 2019. Uh, so we actually went back to our, our partners that actually burned the plant char and they had actually had a little bit of experience trying to, uh, trying to granulate the product. And so we went back to them. And we're like, hey, this is our problem. What equipment do you recommend? You know, we were just trying to learn as much as we could uh, about the product and, and ways to process it. So 
they threw us a lifeline and got us through. Uh, thankfully, we were able to salvage the relationship with Cisco. Uh, we're still with them and we're, we're still growing with Cisco. Uh, but yeah, we just had to you know, kind of swallow our pride and say, look, we messed up. We weren't ready for this amount of growth. But uh, you know, we came back to them and said, we're, we're going to do as much as we can. You know, we were able to save face by just being you know, upfront and honest with them. Yeah. We were trying to be transparent and just say, look, this is, this is the situation we have. We're going to keep grinding away at it. And, and luckily, we were able to get through it. Did they, have they gotten this before? I mean, sure, certainly they've got to expect to some level of like this would happen. You know, if they're taking startups, putting them through this program and then saying here, here's 70 something markets, like I'm sure this happens often. What, what, how did they receive it? You know, we later we found out that this program was really for the larger companies to just test ideas. So these larger companies already had supply chains. So you can think, you know, Sarah Lee coming up with a different cake to launch or a different way of serving it or Rubbermaid coming up with a different mop configuration or a mop bucket. Uh, and then you can think Tyson and Beyond Meat, these companies that are you know, well capitalized and really they knew what to expect. Hmm. Uh, we came to the table and we said, we have no idea what this will do nationally if you launch it. Cisco really had no idea because they'd never seen a product like it. Uh, so yeah, it was a good thing that it, it kind of blew up, but uh, unfortunately we weren't able to, <laughs> to maintain that growth, but we're, we're getting back there. Yeah. That sounds like a, a good challenge to be faced with to kind of be thrown into the water like that and have to have to figure it out. Um, but I think a good, a good takeaway from what you're talking about there is facing your problem and just kind of being honest with yourself and with, you know, any other parties involved about it. Um, and then, you know, you, 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 get past that issue. You get past that, uh, that, that problem. And then COVID hits. So tell us a little bit about story how it gets, story gets crazier. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how COVID affected you guys. Yeah. I mean, we get into, you know, late Q3, Q4 of 2019 and we launch our sales are just straight up hockey stick growth. And then our supply chain fails. It goes back down. We figure it out again mid 2019 and now we're on the way up again so at this point we had just taken you know seed funding from local angel investors friends and family we were living off that money to get us to the point where we are mid 2019 and so then uh jeremiah's job was to go back and all right here here's our company this is what we've been through we have a huge customer we have a whale of a customer cisco uh, they stuck with us through thick and thin where our sales are recovering, our supply chain is strong. And so we start to raise a series A and uh, we found some, some great partners and ended up with a term sheet around, I want to say late January, early February. And you know, we're, we're riding high. You get a term sheet, sales are, sales are good. Supply chain is strong. We're just, you know, ready to hit the ground running in 2020 and then COVID hits. So that's when you really have to take a second and pause. And, you know, we were, we came through it largely unscathed. Our, our restaurant partners really took, took the, took it on the chin. And so whenever 
we're a product selling to the restaurant space. We had to take a step back and say, look, these people don't want to hear a sales pitch right now. So we basically took a cue from Cisco and they said, you know, we have to, we have to kind of shut down and take care of our, our customers any way we can. And so we are basically our, our sales went to zero for a while and uh, we had term sheet in hand, but no money in hand. And uh, we understood what you know, our, our partners were faced with because they had portfolio companies that they had to take care of. Um, and they weren't able to invest in us before they made sure that their portfolio companies were going to be whole. So we're dealing with, you know, this cash burn trying to, to weather the storm and, you know, we couldn't just sit on our hands. And so I give, I give all credit to Jeremiah. Uh, he's like, you know, I see this huge market in sanitizer. Uh, is there any way that we can get into that? I think the problem is there, there's sanitizer available, but there's not enough people to bottle it or to get it out there. So we, we essentially went from just working out of our basements in quarantine mode, semi-depressed to springing into action, finding bottling equipment, sourcing sanitizer in bulk, uh, scouring eBay for bottles and bottle caps. Uh, we had connections in the bourbon industry. They were telling us how to set up the bottling equipment. And you know, we spun up a, a sanitizer bottling line in basically like 10 days and started selling that to distributors. And that was, aside from the PPP loan, that was the only thing that got us through the summer and into January when our, our funding finally closed. Well, give advice, uh, you know, to, to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening on, you know, what, what your mindset became, you know, in that survival period of time, like what was that like? And, and talk, walk us through emotionally what you're going through and, and ultimately just how you got yourself to, to do that. Because, you know, a lot of people, they're faced with something like that and they, you know, might sit back and say, man, the world's, you know, really, really hitting me hard and, you know, I'm gonna let it happen and wait for this to pass and see what happens afterwards. And if I'm alive, that that's great. But I mean, you guys obviously didn't do that. Talk, talk through what, what it takes to do that. Well, I think first and foremost, you gotta, you gotta have a good team, team around you. And again, I give the credit to Jeremiah. He was a true leader during that time. It was like, you know, there were months where we weren't able to pay ourselves, but, you know, there was no lifeline coming if we didn't get out there and hustle. So you see a market and you take advantage of it. I mean, that's what we did with, with the pods. We saw an opportunity. Uh, we had an idea that, you know, we could create this product and get it out there and people would buy it. Uh, what we were able to do is go to these suppliers that we knew were, weren't able to get sanitizer. And we said, Hey, if we could create this product, would you buy it? And so we were getting pre-orders for the product before we would even go out and buy it. Cause you know, the cash position we were in, if we didn't have, let alone PO in hand, if we didn't have money in hand for the order, we weren't going to buy anything. And so again, kudos to Jeremiah for basically getting cash in advance for these orders. And, uh, you know, we just put our engineering minds to work and just, just figured it out. 
Yeah, and, and catch us up to date on the current state of the company now that, you know, hopefully the worst part of COVID or at least the worst part of the lockdowns and restaurants being shut down. Uh, what's going on currently within Fresh Fry? Yes, we, we closed the Series A in, in early July. Uh, so that that money we're putting to work by just hiring the best folks we can find. Uh, so we hired some, some support support staff. We've got food safety and quality assurance. We've got marketing now. We've got an accounting team. Uh, and then we've really built, uh, trying to build out our sales team at this point. So we're really optimistic that the market's going to recover. And, and uh, you know, I, I see it as the other side of prohibition. People are going to be like, okay, you told me I can't go to a restaurant for a year. And then once they're able to go back, I think uh, it's going to be crazy. So we want to be there whenever the restaurants are able to open and recover. Uh, so we're putting in, you know, putting people into place, uh, putting processes into place to to really test the waters and then be ready for uh, ready for all these folks to get back out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, that that story uh, is, is so amazing, and the fact that. You, know, you push through so many different obstacles uh, is amazing. So, you know, congrats to you guys to get into where you are today, and we're looking forward to hearing what happens after you know things open back up. I'm I'm right with I'm right there with you. I'm I'm expecting a, a major bounce bounce back because I'm just dying to you know go back to to restaurants and the night scene and just like you know have fun again and and be around people. And restaurants are a core way of doing that. So we're we're excited to see what happens uh, for you guys right after this this hard, hard period of time. Let's talk about, uh, we always want to talk about, you know, the local community here and you guys are in Lexington. So talk about your experience or you guys are in Louisville. Talk about your experience in Louisville of, of starting a company and the support you've gotten and, and how they've, you know, really helped you guys along the way. Yeah, we, we came on the scene uh, around 2016. So that's, that's when we quit our full-time engineering jobs to, to do work on fresh fry full time. And luckily we, we kind of had a network before that. I mean, uh, one of a, a close friend of ours, Alex Frohmeyer had just started a company in Louisville, closed a huge round of funding. Uh, fortunately it took him to Columbus, but he was always a, a mentor of ours to say, you know, here's the network that I was able to tap into to raise a seed round. Here's kind of a playbook you know, here's, here's how I did it. And we were able to learn a lot from him. Uh, Jeremiah actually went through the vote awards, won the vote awards. So, you know, around mid 2016, we had a little bit of vote awards money, a uh, great mentor base and, you know, basically a, a Rolodex of people that had written checks historically for startup companies. And then you just go to work networking and you just pitch as many people as you can. Uh, you have to put your pride aside and start asking family members and friends of family members. And, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the startup scene has changed quite a bit since 2016. I mean, uh, Endeavor rolled into town. Uh, they have the scale up program. We were part of that. Uh, there's launch it, uh, put on by the university and, uh, you know, there, there's tons of resources out there if you want to take advantage of them. And, and I love that. A lot of them have, some of them started to splinter, but it seems like some of them are starting to come back and consolidate uh, based on the region. And 
Yeah, it's been great to see to see the amount of support. I mean, everybody here is is willing to celebrate the wins with you. Uh, it's really finding those people who are who can be open and honest about some of the failures and allow you to learn from those as well. Yeah, and we also like giving uh, you know a chance to talk about what could be done better in your particular community. So, what is what are some things Louisville could be doing better as it relates to the startup ecosystem? You know, that one's tough. I mean, we, I don't have a lot of uh, bad experiences that we've had, you know, in the startup space. It's just uh, one thing that I have noticed is you, know, you close a seed round or you get a little bit of money and then, you know, everybody celebrates that win. And then sometimes you kind of get left to yourself to just go figure it out. Uh, but there's been a lot more support pop up for that, you know, in between phase. It's like, okay, now you have some money. Here's how you can you know, build product market fit, or here's how you go to market. And some of those other programs are coming around, uh, especially that, you know, the Endeavor scale up program. We love being a part of that. Uh, yeah. But- talk about that a bit. Cause, cause we've, we've had several of the Endeavor companies on um, scale up is I think relatively new to Endeavor. Uh, I could be mistaken there, but uh, talk about that that program. Give us some details of of what it helped you and what that uh, looked like to go through. Yeah, we were. I I'm pretty sure we were the first, you know, the first group of companies to go through that program for Louisville, and it's it's kind of a precursor to becoming an Endeavor company. So uh, they introduce you to you know the network, some of the resources available, but they really start to bring in uh, some of the heavy hitters within the Endeavor network. So we were set up with two mentors that we were able to meet with on really as often as we wanted to, but it was structured as a monthly meet. And you just set out to accomplish four or five really big things. And we were able to do that with uh, the mentors that we worked with. But it's basically, it's in the name, just trying to figure out how you scale up the idea that you have and using the tools that other entrepreneurs have have uh, used to yeah. get there. Cool. Well, we always want to end on a forward-looking statement. So in this case, give us a forward-looking statement on where you see Fresh Fry going uh, and um, you know what what the future looks like for the, the frying oil uh, industry because it's not one that you know people talk about often. I think it's one of those really cool industries that you know, there's opportunity everywhere. Obviously, it's one of those things that's not pretty. It makes you think of, you know, Dirty Jobs, you know, the TV show, which everybody loved because it was cool to see like behind the scenes of many of these everyday jobs that you don't think much about. And nobody, I think, when or they order food at, you know, Wendy's or these fast food restaurants, think about, man, what happens to my oil afterwards? So give us a sense of, you know, the future of fresh fry and the future of the frying oil industry going forward. Well, when you think of, of running a restaurant, besides the people, and besides the food, the frying oil is pretty close to the next highest expense. Uh, so our goal for you know, the, the future is to develop you know, either more products or, you know, or processes uh, for anybody running a restaurant to never think about oil again. We want to we be the go-to people for oil, uh, how it's getting to the restaurant, how it's you know, working within the restaurant, 
and how it leaves the restaurant. Uh, I, I spoke about that circular economy. You know, if we can find better ways to reuse the oil, uh, extend the life of the oil, make better oil, uh, all of those things play into uh, the sustainability. Because uh, you know, if your fryer goes down in your restaurant, you're you're pretty much screwed. Uh, it's just like if your your point of sale system goes down. So it's it's equally as important, uh, and we want to make sure that we're valuing. Uh, the people that are cooking the food uh, as much as we are the the food itself. Yeah. Awesome. And so as we wrap up here, we always like giving our guests a, a time to kind of plug themselves. So if we have any listeners that are listening right now that want to learn more about Fresh Fry, where, where can they go to do that? Yeah, you can go to our website, uh, www.freshfry.me. You can find out a little bit more about our product there. Uh, find out a little bit more about our team. We're we're a little behind getting that up to date on uh, all the new people that, that we've hired on. We went from three people to now seven, so we've doubled the team. Awesome. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us. And enjoy the rest of your evening.